Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Omar Khan. Omar is a partner at Ordwath Wealth and moved from Canada to Texas, where he lives with his wife and son. And uh, Boardwell, Boardwalk Wealth connects passive investors to multifamily real estate opportunities with value-add potential and works with a number of international investors. So how are you doing today, Omar? Hey, thank you for having me. It's a great, uh, it's a great honor and a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. And um, a couple of things when I was uh, reading over your website, and uh, it says that you had lived in Dubai, Toronto, Calgary, yeah. Dallas. Yeah. You're pretty much, uh, I mean, you're kind of like a global citizen of working. And, of course, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what was your business background prior to starting to invest in real estate? Well, I worked in finance. I did sell-side equity research, M&A stuff, uh, all in, on the finance side. My family's been involved with business for a couple of generations now. So, you know, I had a lot of influences growing up. Okay. And uh, what was, uh, what got you started investing in real estate? What was the transfer you into, from the business into the real estate business? Well, when I moved to the, look, my family owns a lot of commercial real estate, but it wasn't like, I'm not one of those people who was ever supremely passionate about real estate. I like, you know, I wasn't like two when I knew I wanted to be in real estate. None of that. I moved to the U.S. Basically, um, I had a good set of experiences. I was structuring deals up north in Canada. We did about $4 billion of deals in oil and gas. And when I moved down here, I helped this uh, family friend of ours in the family office to restructure their office portfolio in Houston. There was some family inheritance stuff. And basically, as a result of that, my wife's a physician, so we were paying a boatload of money in taxes. And we just wanted to find a way to basically uh, mitigate our taxes while, you know, not sacrificing the amount of money that was coming in. And because my family had a background in commercial real estate and because I had a background in finance working uh, in M&A and South State Equity Research, it was somewhat of an easier transition for me to do it, uh, at least from the technical side of things. So you were actually structuring deals in Canada. How do you, yeah. how do you see the difference between what you're going for when you set up a, a deal in Canada or when you were setting up deals in Canada versus when you're setting one up in the United States? Well, I was in oil and gas. So basically okay, so it's, a different, the, it's yeah. a different vertical completely. And that was yeah. with way bigger firms. Yeah. So we had an army of, uh, you know, lawyers at our disposal. Okay. Uh, what do you see for when you see international investors that are investing with you into some of your U S deals? Mm -hmm. What do you see that, what they're looking for? What are their, what's their main goal they're trying to get out of it? Look, man, most of the people that I know of, at least for people in my social circle, they've been investing in the U.S. or they've been, they're very comfortable investing globally. So they don't have, they don't need to be taught. It's not like, a, it's not one of those mentorship positive thinking sort of things, yeah. you know. They don't need to be taught any of that. These are sophisticated people to begin with, right? So they're looking for the exact same thing that most other people are looking for, but I think they have a more sophisticated bent. They're more looking towards managing their portfolio, diversifying their holdings in some particular cases. Some are trying to take, uh, say, have assets in a different country because say they live in a country and they want to have some assets there and some elsewhere. But at the end of the day, it's portfolio management, but also returns are very important. So, so the because they're more, you would say, higher net worth than the average syndicated investor in the U.S., 
they have a couple of things they're looking at, not just returns. Okay. Yeah, it's more of a sophisticated investor that's investing that you've seen come into your deals internationally from international. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah it just differs because I have some people that come in and it's asset preservation and that's it. They're coming with someone that just wants to keep their money what it is now with some kind of growth. And it seems like when you have a sophisticated investor, they're worried more on the velocity of their money and not only making the return, but also preserving it, all different factors that some investors don't have. So. Yeah. 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 What are the, uh, when you have foreign investors come to you, they're ready to invest. And now you're working with more of a sophisticated investor. So kind of, mm-hmm. I imagine they're pretty much all set up with their entities before they actually yeah. come to you. Yeah. You're not, you're not really walking through investors through, they're going to be limited partners on entity formation or setting them up. Look, I can do that if you want. Uh, I can do that because I can do that in my sleep. But most of the people that I talk to, they already have their shit down, basically. You know, they don't, they don't need me to tell them, how basically a waterfall works, how limited partner and general partnership work, how real estate works, how private assets work. They got it down. They know. We're basically doing this because these are relationships that, you know, go back, say, a couple of decades or a few generations because our families know each other. Or, you know, we worked on the same uh, trading desk at a bank or one guy gave me another guy's referral and we're both caught up in the same lines of business. So it's that sort of work. Yeah. Do you find the same for your domestic investors as well? They come from the sophisticated side, private equity or? Well, domestic is kind of all over the place because the issue is domestic people have more of a luxury of picking and choosing and they're already in the market. So, you know, presumably if you're coming from a UAE or South Korea or Hong Kong and you don't live in the US, well, nine times out of 10, you might be a more sophisticated investor, mm-hmm. but just because you live in the US, you're just more exposed to things that are happening. Just, that's just the way it is. Like if you live in China, you just know more stuff going on in China. Yeah. That's just the way it is, right? So the domestic people are, are kind of all over the place, depending on you know where they are. And obviously, depending on where they are, we can obviously assist them and provide uh, the best advice possible. Now, I know your firm is very thorough with your underwriting for multifamily, which is, uh, I believe, what your specialty asset class is. Um, can you walk us through like initial underwriting requirements? So for doing a pre-vet, like you look at a property and say this won't work or this possibly could work, what you guys look at? Look, we're just, uh, we just have basically most of the guys uh, we work with or we're partnering with or some combination of the two, we're all guys from institutional backgrounds. You know, we 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 kind of did this for a living. We are doing this for a living pretty much. So ours is kind of a different model. I mean, it's not a different model. The model is there. It's the same for everybody else. Ours is a, you know, we, we've, done, we've done this for a living basically for over two plus decades. So, you know, we kind of live and breathe numbers. We didn't have to have a coach basically teach us how to run a financial model. Because, I mean, if you tell that to pretty much anybody in finance, they might actually laugh at you. I didn't, for, let's put it this way. When I moved to the U.S., I didn't even know there were real estate mentors. <laughs> and when I moved here, I realized, oh, wow, you're basically giving, uh, you know, seminars at the airport Sheraton. Wow, that's, you, your business must really suck. You must really <laughs> suck at investors to be giving seminars at the airport Sheraton. So look, typically what we've done is we have our little buy box. You know, our buy box is up to $25 million. Minimum is like $10, $15 million. We have selected some markets that were markets and then some markets we're looking in specifically. And within those areas, we have a specific vintage that we're catering to. So for instance, in Jacksonville, we're looking at mid 70s and above or in and around that area. Look, so for instance, in the case of Jacksonville, our typical buy box is 10 to $25 million, which is presumably usually 100 plus units minimum, all the way up to about 300 units or 250 units. Okay, it's gotta be mid 70s plus vintage. 
it's got to be the three sub-markets of Orange Park, Southside, Bay Meadows, and possibly the beaches, or maybe maybe Mandarin, but there's nothing really there, I'll be honest with you. Uh, apart from that, what else? Uh, we're looking clearly at value-add deals, BC, and for us, uh, we're not basically, we're looking for a combination of appreciation and cash flow. So I'm not really the guy who's just buying, say, 12% cash flow deals because I'm not buying in the ghetto, yeah. right? So I, I want a healthy appreciation to basically uh, provide me a juice to my returns as well. Yeah, that's great. So you guys have it already down, actually down to the markets, uh, the neighborhoods of where you're working, not just the MSA. It's exactly down to what neighborhoods you'll work with, which won't. Because, of course, it's very difficult to do a value-add deal if you're buying something that's a C- minus and you're trying to bring that up to a certain point. So imagine all of your assets are institutional grade that you can Well, no, it depends. There's a few that are institutional grade. There's two that, I mean, let's put it this way. I've seen a lot of syndicators with similar assets advertise that asset as institutional grade, I would not advertise it as institutional grade. Because look, it's a mid-70s asset, workforce housing. No institution is going to buy a $14 million workforce housing, okay, no matter what somebody tells you. That's just not the way they work. Uh, what is this? What is the software, that the deal analytica that you guys have? I found that very interesting. I started yeah, looking at that. That, was an inter- that is an internal software we're building out for ourselves. A lot of the stuff that we have basically automated and uh, automated internally right? Scrubbing right roles, profit losses, getting stuff out of our database, all of that kind of stuff. Basically, that's for internal use. A partner of mine uh, with my partner is, is going to be hopefully launching it. We, we got delayed by about a year, hopefully soon. But there were a lot of processes internally that we had internalized, we provide to our analysts, and now we can just roll them out in the software. Okay. That's great. Now, do you see when, because you're working with more of, you know, a sophisticated, for the most part, limited partners that are coming to you, what is your average time frame that you're looking to hold assets? Is it the well, seven no, years, five to seven years? Everybody says three to five years. Everybody says five years, but let me tell you this. Most indicators are playing a game where they'll say five years or seven years because they want to sound conservative, but really they want to cash out. So they're really selling towards three years everybody plays the exact same game. Yeah. Anybody who tells yeah. you otherwise is just lying to your face or thinks you're stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because look, at the end of the day, the, if it's structured the right way, uh, and by right way, I mean, look, the syndicator is getting uh, basically compensated on performance. That basically means that roughly between, rough math says 75 to 85% of their, the total equity or the total money a syndicator is going to make is going to be back-ended, Right. So when you sell, that's the bulk of your ass. That's the bulk of the money the syndicator is going to make. So there's an inherent conflict of interest for the syndicator or any, by the way, uh, general partner to not hold on to these assets for the five, seven years. Now they might have it, which is fine, but they're not going to hold on to it. Well, it doesn't really make sense 100% too. If they've hit their price in 24 months in, their returns would be much higher than what they thought they're going to hold it for 48 or 60 months down the road. Yeah, but your equity multiple is lower, right? Yeah. And really, I mean, at the end of the day, you eat dollars, you don't eat percentages. It's very interesting how different syndicators work because there's some that want to keep, not many want to keep it for the life cycle, you know what I mean? Long-term legacy, but they I all I don't have. think not many have the capacity to keep it for the life cycle because people have to pay their bills and uh, people have to feed their kids. And that's just, I mean, look, that's reality. To shy away from reality, to pretend nothing that doesn't exist is, I don't think it's right. 
Yeah, a lot of fees are built on those transactions. Yeah. So, so you're a big advocate for coaching for real estate investors. I'm not a big advocate. No, no, no. You're, I'm sorry. You're not a no, big advocate. I'm not a big advocate. I feel most coach, <laughs> let me put it this way. You don't see Donald Trump giving you weekend seminars at the airport Sheraton, right? For 200 bucks a pop. There's a reason for that. Yeah. The reason is the guy is too damn rich and makes too much money to care about these kind of things. And most coaches, by the way, just to let you know, there's, there's a few very notable exceptions, by the way. The few notable exceptions, like all other professions in the world, like, like, you know, being a basketball player, being a physician, being an investor, whatever, whatever profession you choose. There are some coaches that are so damn good that there's not enough money in the world to basically pay them for the amount of value they bring. But the other 99.999% of the coaches, they don't have a real career to begin with. So these days, I guess if you don't have a real career, you don't have a real job. You certainly become a coach these days, right? Yeah. Because it's easier to tell other people what to do with their money. Yeah, no, it's it's funny because I was at a conference a couple weekends ago, and you know, you just go there and you get you know you get a nugget of information, and you just it's mostly just networking. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. you're in there, and I walked in one part, and they were talking about their what their portfolio was, and I was like, wow, that's not that it was small, but it's it's it was much smaller than I thought that they had. You know what I mean? And it's, it's people get started in the coaching and the seminars and all this stuff much earlier than you would think they do. Like you were saying, I mean, they don't need to really have a resume to put on a, like you said, a, a Hilton conference, you know what I mean? Or Oh yeah, man. I mean, look, think about it. If you've got 5,000 units as an example, even if you've syndicated it the right way, dude, you're too busy making real money, man. Yeah. You're too busy making serious money to yeah. worry about like, a five, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollar product. Right. Especially with the hold the hand holding that has to go on with that after oh, you've yeah. sold some sort of coaching program, which I imagine yeah. is a handful if you're paying if you're charging someone twenty, twenty five thousand. So what what do you what do you suggest if someone came to you and they didn't want to be an LP or and they wanted to become active in investing, what what would you suggest for them uh, the first few steps, I guess? Well, it depends what they want to do, right? I mean, different. we all have different, say, talents. For instance, some people look like I have partners who are fantastic in marketing, right? Now, could I potentially market? Yeah, I guess I could, but I would be probably at their level. And even if I was to mythically get to their level, it would take me forever to get there, mm-hmm. right? So they're really good at what they do. I'm really good at a certain aspect of things, the asset management, the managing the investments, all that kind of stuff, right? So first of all, I think it, the question depends, well, what are you really good at? And what do you really want to do? Because just because somebody you think somebody else has a cool job doesn't necessarily mean you like doing that job, right? So you got to figure out what you're really good at, and that could be your like that could be your leg up. Uh, look, to give you an example, look if you live in say a city, let's suppose you live you live in Tampa, right, in around Tampa somewhere. So let's do you know somebody who is rich and who wants to invest in Tampa for whatever reason. And you've lived in Tampa all your life. So you know the city inside out, born, raised, all that kind of stuff, right? So you can presume, and you're, you've got a smart head on your shoulder. So, you know, you can maybe advise them on a lot of soft little things like, hey, how's that location? Yeah, on demographics, it might look good. But you know, just because you go past that area five times a month, that, oh, man, things are really going down. <laughs> you know, because a lot of these are lagging indicators. So you could add value there even without having any real estate background. Or for instance, somebody lives in New York, they're investing in Tampa, you could be their boots on the ground. I mean, you don't need to have, a, I don't know, a PhD in real estate to go talk to like five people. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, already, you already know how to have a conversation, and, you know? So there's lots of ways you can add value, right? And then along the way, as you're adding value, as you're doing all this work, 
what you can basically start seeing is learning from people. Right. But trying figuring out what helps you stand apart, I feel, is better than trying to just do somebody else's job. Because you might, A, you might not be good at it and it might not be a good fit for you also. Yeah. So you guys uh, syndicate multi-million dollar deals across U.S. What markets are you, are you really bullish on at this part of the real estate cycle? Other than Jacksonville, we just spoke about that. Yeah, look, we're in Jacksonville. I live in Dallas. I think Dallas is a fantastic market. We don't own anything there, but I do think it's a fantastic market. Uh, also Atlanta and Phoenix. Again, Phoenix is a bit too hot, but I think long-term wise, it's a good market if you can stomach volatility in the short term. Yeah. Yeah, Phoenix is a, definitely a great market. It's getting expensive there. Um, what do you, uh, you guys, what kind of asset classes do you guys focus on from bringing during your value add play? We'll so start you, like, uh, are you guys starting at buying stuff that might be currently a B minus, a C plus, and bringing it to a B plus? Is that what normally you see? Oh, yeah, it's anywhere between, look, everybody says B to C, but really most indicators are at the C level. Okay, let's be honest. We're practically at the C plus B minus level because we graduated up over a period of time, right? And basically the whole idea there is even if you don't improve basically the class of the building, what I'm, to be honest with you, what I'm really looking at improving is how quickly can I get the NOI number up? Mm-hmm. Now, I really don't, honestly, if the class of the building improves, that's a bonus and that's fantastic and wow, that is freaking awesome. But what I'm really concerned about is even if it stays at the same class, how much income can I take up? Because if I can take up income, to be honest with you, I don't even care about anything else. Yeah, that so makes even, sense. If we, even if you stay at the same level, but my income goes up, I'm okay with that. Yeah, which it's very difficult when investors tell you or when syndicators are telling you, well, I'm going to go, um, this is going to be C, and we're bringing it to C plus or C plus to B. I mean, those are very skewed too, because it, how are you going to change the air? I mean, if the area yeah, is already in a dump. If the area is, for instance, a dump, you can have the nicest looking building in the dump but it will still be in the dump. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. <laughs> it'll be in the dump with a higher NOI. Yeah, it'll be, or, or maybe not. Maybe you have the nicest looking building in the dump with the same NOI as everybody else. True. Which, which sucks even more, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, all right, give me some information on how people can learn more about Boardwalk Wealth and your investments and your opportunities. Uh, so please, uh, first of all, I thought you'd ever ask that question, Chris. So uh, you can go to our website, Boardwalk Wealth, B-O-A-R-D, Walk Wealth, one word, dot com. You can basically, we made it really simple, okay? Enter your name. Hopefully you know your name. Enter your email. Hopefully you also know that. And type in the third field how you found out about us, right? Okay. okay. Say the podcast, right? And then you register. You click that button. You're going to get an email. You verify your email address. And what's going to happen, Charles, after that is that basically you can then access other, well, you can access other parts of the website anyways as well. And what you can be seeing there is basically different blog posts. And a lot of our blog posts aren't the usual fluffy type, oh, what are the five greatest rank markets in the country? Because honestly, who gives a crap, right? Really, this is insightful posts about, say, how to read a PPM, how to wet a multifamily sponsor, how to wet a deal. What do you do when you have a cost segregation? What are things you got to look out for? How do waterfalls work? So this isn't like a fluffy sort of a thing. So I'm not pushing like 20 articles a month. This is like one or two really incisive articles written where we're basically then going forward. That's great because it educates all of your potential investors and your current investors on exactly how the process works because it's extremely confusing for the first few times you see a people subscription agreement. And then everybody else is kind of different also, right? So even if you know the stuff, what happens is everybody structures their deals differently, all that stuff. So it just gives you a better idea. 
Yeah, everybody has a different target kind of LP, limited partner, passive investor they're looking at. And sometimes more of those, like you have more of a sophisticated, I think, compared to some other syndicators that might might not have that. So your deal might be structured differently than if I went with another syndicator. So of course, yeah, I mean, yeah. look, there's so many ways of skinning a cat, right? Definitely. Well, I want to thank you very much for all your time today. Um, thank you, Charles. I will put all your contact information in the podcast and also in the YouTube uh, note section. So anybody can just click on that. You don't have to worry about writing down what Omar was writing, uh, was <laughs> reading there. And uh, that's great. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much and have a great rest of your day. No, I appreciate it, Charles. Thank you so much for the, pl- uh, for the opportunity. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively. GlobalInvestorPodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.